This podcast contains explicit material. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to this mini text episode of The Joy of Text. I'm Sarah Rosner Lawrence, and I'm here as usual with Dr. Batsheva Marcus, Clinical Director of Maze Women's Health, and Rabbi Dove Linzer, Rosh Hashivan President of Yeshiva Chovei Torah. So, what are we going to be learning today? So, I have a text that connects to Yom Kippur and the Kohen Gadol entering into the Kodesh Kodeshim, the Holy of Holies, which was obviously the sort of central focus of the day, certainly when there was a Beit HaMikdash. And even for us, you know, that's the whole drama that happens at Musaf on Yom Kippur. And this is from Yoma 54a. And I think that the metaphors and the images, as we'll see, that the Gemara uses in this context are very uh, startling. And so let's just jump in and we'll see what they are. So it first describes how the Aron, the Ark, which had the tablets in it, which had these two long, thin staves, uh, how it appeared standing outside of the Holy of Holies. And here's what it says. Tanya nami hachi, we taught similarly. So it says the ends of the staves were visible from outside the Holy of Holies. One might have thought they did not move from their position so that they weren't visible at all. The verse states the staves were long. They were so long that they were poking into the curtain and could be seen um, from somebody standing outside the curtain. So not that they could be seen, but the protrusion could be seen. One might have thought that they ripped the curtain, that they could literally be seen, and emerged on the other side. Therefore, the verse says they could not be seen. So you didn't actually see the staff, but you could see the protrusion of the staff, the bump. So how is this so? The staffs of the ark pushed and protruded and stuck out against the curtain and appeared like the two breasts of a woman pushing against her clothes. As it is stated, my beloved is to me like a bundle of myrrh that lies between my breasts. And Rashi here says the bundle of myrrh is also an allusion to the ketoret, the incense that was brought into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. So already we have this very erotic uh, imagery associated with the Holy of Holies, and maybe not specifically in the Yom Kippur context, but certainly with God and the Ark, you know, being there behind the Holy of Holies, sort of visible, maybe seductive, you know, but not exposed. So let's read a little bit more. Rav Katina said, when the Jewish people would ascend for one of the festivals, the priest would roll up the curtain for them and show them the cherubs, statues of people or angels on top of the ark. Everybody would be filling up the, the, the temple, right? It would be like the entire Jewish people would be present on the regalim, on the holidays. You know, you couldn't go into the inner chamber, and the Holy of Holies was even one chamber more inner, but you had a straight line of, of sight straight to it. So the priests would remove the curtain, and you could see straight into the Holy of Holies. So they would look. So in other words, they couldn't go in, but they would look into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Exactly. So which is what's self-shocking, okay. right? It's supposed to be something that we assumed like only the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur would be able to see. Right. And now we're being told like everybody could see it. It was totally public. And they would roll up the curtain for them and show them the cherubs, which were clinging to one another. And they said to them, See how you are beloved before God, like the love of a male and female. So it's almost that the cherubs sort of go from their positions at the end and they miraculously are intertwined and it's a sexual embrace. And this, you know, it reflects your relationship to God. So Rav Chizda asked a question similar to, I think, what Bakyav is implicitly asking. How could they do this? How could they be see this, you know, see this? Doesn't the verse say they shall not go in to see the sacred objects when they're being covered? When it speaks about, you know, the priests, the Kohanim, moving the tabernacle in the wilderness, it says that they have to cover it up with all of these uh, bags, you know, or, uh, you know, garments so that the people shouldn't see it. And here, how are the people being allowed to see it? So the Gemara says, Rav Nachman said in answer, I'm skipping a little, 
It's like a bride. As long as she's engaged or, you know, uh, betrothed and still in her father's house, she is modest in the presence of her husband. However, once she is married and comes to her father-in-law's house, she leaves her father's and now she's living with her husband, but maybe with her husband's parents. She is no longer modest in the presence of her husband. So the analogy is when they were in the desert here, the, uh, you know, the English here gives it spells out the analogy. In the wilderness, when the divine presence did not dwell in permanent place, it was prohibited to see the sacred objects because then our relationship to God or our intimacy with God was not yet firm. You know, we were like betrothed, but not married. When, when they came to their place in the temple, God was like in our home and it was a more intimate and permanent relationship and we we're actually allowed to see it. So there's a lot here. It, it goes on and maybe, but I'll pause here for a moment before we see the rest of the text. There's a lot to absorb. But, uh, you know, clearly the sense of the sexual imagery in the context of the relationship of God and the people, but specifically in the context of the temple and a bride who exposes herself and doesn't expose herself and, you know, nakedness and covering. So I'm wondering what you make of all of this. I mean, I actually don't think it surprises me so much that that which is like hold the holy of holies, like the most sacred, the most, the most secret, the most sacred in a certain way, the most special that sexuality comes right in there. Like we know that we know, you know, I'm always laughing. Like why did I go into this field? It's not because of the mechanics of sex, right? It's because ultimately sex is so much the essence of so much of our lives. And I feel like in religion, like certainly in Kabbalistic religion, but you know, any everywhere in, in, in our tradition, there is a real reverence for sex, for good and for bad. It means sometimes that people are scared of it, but it also means that where people are nervous about it, but it also means that there's the sense that it is something, it's sort of like the ultimate secret. Hmm. And knowing of the other person and connecting to the other person. Either connecting to the other person or connecting to yourself, like that there's something... Mm-hmm. There's something deep, sometimes dark, but usually just um, deeply sort of powerful and central to the whole concept of sexuality. And so the picture, the idea of the Kadosh Akdashim sort of fits perfectly into that. You know, it's mm. it's there. It holds it holds our essence, right? It holds the secrets and it holds the Aron. It holds the ultimate power zone, you know, powerful zone mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Judaism. Is that mm, crazy? Mm. Do you guys think I'm nuts? Like... No, what you're saying is that it's also like the like the power plant, like it's you know the, the source of all the energy is in the holy of holies. Yes, the secrets, uh-huh. the energy, the the life force, even with mm-hmm. the dark and the light. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I was gonna just echo like I didn't find this very surprising, and I think you know coming at it from a slightly different angle, like I feel like you know romantic sexual metaphors for the relationship between the Jewish people and God are like everywhere, right? Like when God gave the Torah was like a wedding. Like I feel like there are so many places where where God is described as as a lover. Um, So to me, this like makes a lot of sense and is pretty consistent. Right, and it quotes that verse about between my breasts, which is from Shir Hashirim, which Rabbi Akiva said is the holy of holies because it refers to the intense relationship, you know, the loving and intense and sexual relationship, as it were, between humans and God. I mean, to me, a little bit what I was uh, bothered by, but I, I know what you're going to answer, but is that 
at some level, like I think the cherubs intertwine that sense of connectedness, intimacy, the actual sexual act. Like to me, that makes a lot of sense to be thinking about that as a metaphor of deep connection. But, you know, the idea of the protrusion and looking like, you know, the breasts of a woman, to me, that's like, I don't know, that's more erotic and sexual rather than, you know, about connectedness to the other person. Well, let, yes and no. So let's uh-huh. let's look about breasts. First of all, breasts are where the milk comes from. I mean, I feel like this is definitely a sexual, you know, I'm not pretending that they're suggesting that this is about, you know, life and where life giving and life forces of the breast. But I'm not sure that those are things that are always so separate that we like to make them. And people often say people who are partially clothed are much more sexual than people who are completely naked, right? Mm-hmm, There's mm-hmm. like a hint, an idea of something that you want and you desire. I think that's what they're going after here more than the, than the sensuality. This idea that they're behind the curtain is just, I see, I can almost see God. Like I see, I can almost see the breasts, right? I can almost see the beauty and the the power and the that which I want, where that's which I'm longing for is there behind the curtain. And mm-hmm. to my mind, I don't know, it's beautiful. Again, I think we have a very hard time separating out erotic from, like we se- we want to separate erotic from holy. And I feel like those things are really intertwined. I do feel like the Kabbalah or the Zohar does a masterful job much mm-hmm, more at that mm-hmm. than we Maimonidean thinkers. Um, <laughs> but this idea that you can't really separate this like erotic yearning, that which is turns you on, that which mm-hmm, makes mm-hmm. you want something and desire something could be God, it could be sex. And those are not 100% separate. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. So let's look at the last paragraph, because the last paragraph sort of raises the, you know, possible negative reaction that somebody could have to this, the inappropriateness of this imagery in in the holy context. So the final paragraph reads as follows. I skipped a little in the text. It's written, according to the space of each with levayot. What is the meaning according to each with levayot? Rabbi Barav Shela said, like a man joined to his levaya, his lover. So again, how the cherubs looked. Rish Lakish said, When Gentiles destroyed the temple, they entered the sanctuary. They saw the cherubs clinging to one another. They peeled them away from the wall, took them out to the market and said, these Jews whose blessing is a blessing and whose curse is a curse, right, that they are supposed to be so holy, how could they be occupied with such matters of sexual imagery? They immediately debased and destroyed them, as it is stated, all who honored her debase her because they have seen her nakedness, right? which is from Eicha. So from their perspective, this is nakedness, this is debased, you know, and they said, what type of a people bring sex into the context of the holiest thing? But I think that that, like, that's so important that that was being said by the Gentile conquerors right. of the temple, right? Like, that's not a Jewish perspective. That's the perspective of the of the Roman people coming in and conquering, like, <laughs> our religious objects. And, like, I feel like we sort of touched on this during our episode about sex education. There's such a internalized anxiety about sex and like this kind of like like internalized sense that sex and sexuality are shameful and dirty and you know profane and all of these different things but I think like most of the time that perspective is really coming from outside of Jewish tradition Mm -hmm. is much more like an influence of like Christianity or some some other like 
force. Uh-huh. I think this is so fascinating because you just said yourself, Dove, like, don't you think this image is so sexual? It makes me a little uncomfortable that it's somehow connected to the to the Kodesh Hakzashim, right? Well, I was specifically about the difference between the sort of attraction of the breasts as yes. opposed to okay, the intercourse. Okay, but so, even so, that's right. that's a piece of it, right? I think as much as we try, and I think we do, we 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 still are kind of affected by our Victorian mm-hmm. 21st century, believe it or not, we still have a big Victorianism in us where we do separate like what we consider sort of holy and, you know, ruchani and gashmi. And I feel like maybe they had a better sense of those things kind of not being quite as bifurcated as we make them. And that's kind of a cool, good thing. And correct, Sarah's right. It was the, you know, Romans coming from the outside who had trouble with it. Right. And I also wonder if it's not just the Romans because it's a non-Jewish perspective, but it's also an outsider's perspective. You know, from the couple themselves, this is a, to be like the most holy and intimate act. But from somebody who's looking at the couple, it could just be dirty and sexual, you know, just sexual, just something, right? So, you know, are, are you one of the actual people that is part of this connection? You know, then it's, uh, then it's something that's very holy. Great text. Okay. Something to think about for Yom, for Yom Kippur. <laughs> okay. So, by the way, I just want to say it's not in the text, but the Kohen Gadol going in to the Holy of Holies, and there's a curtain there of which there's blood that's on the curtain, you know, is very much an image of, of uh, penetration and of the actual act of intercourse. That is fascinating. I've never heard anybody suggest that. I, I think that's fascinating, particularly in the context of this conversation that we're having now. So what's your reaction to that? To thinking about the entering of the Kohen Gadol in those terms? I mean, I never thought about it before. Never. When I read it every year. So fascinating. Um, I guess also tossing blood onto the horns of the Mizbeach, right? You toss blood onto the horns. And horns are traditionally always thought as very phallic also. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think maybe we just need to embrace the fact that there's just a lot of sexual imagery here. And it's about the union between man and woman and between God and Israel. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. Also really interesting, just another support for that idea. The Kohen Gadol has to go into the mikvah oh, like nice. afterwards, <laughs> right? Which is before he can do other parts right. of the of the of the Seder Ha'avodah, right? So like right. um like paralleling, I think, a past mini text episode <laughs> right. we did about having to go to the mikvah after having sex. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, that's really interesting. Great. I I love this. I think this is really interesting. And listeners, if you have thoughts about this, if it horrified you or if you loved it, please let us know because it's super cool. Absolutely. Right, well, thank you so much, Rabbi Linzer. Sure. Take care, everyone. This episode of The Joy of Text was produced and edited by Max Hollander and is a project of the Lindenbaum Center at YCT. If you have any questions or comments you'd like to share with us, you can do so anonymously at www.thejoyoftext.org. The Joy of Text is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any podcast app. If you like what you hear, show us your support by giving us a five-star rating and stay up to date with our latest episodes and live events by following us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Shana Tova, everyone.